Oh, it's good to be with you. It's good to see the room full and uh, good to see all of your faces, the whole face, nothing but the face. <laughs> so it's great to be with you. And, uh, you know, during COVID, when I couldn't travel for a number of months, um, what do you do? Well, I wrote a book. <laughs> so I had prophetic words about that, and I wrote a book called Stewarding Prophecy. And um, I want to just say it's been on my heart for years to write a book, not only to help people engage with a prophetic word and to see it come to pass. It's one thing to receive a prophetic word. It's another thing to see things come to pass. And one thing I can say about Julian and Sarah and our long relationship, and then the culture that you've built here is uh, you do steward well the word of the Lord. It's not enough just to say, I got a great prophecy. I'll just put it on the shelf, and when God's ready to make it come to pass, he'll just kind of wake me up and tap me on the shoulder and say, by the way, your prophecy is now fulfilled. Enjoy, enjoy your day. You know, it's, there's something we must do. We must engage with the process of development. And so you're here because this is what this couple's done for 30 years that I've known them, and this is what many of you do. When God speaks, we obey. I, no amens on that one. Well, anyway, when God speaks, okay, we obey and say, God, what must we now do that you've spoken? So there's more to come, not only for Cornerstone, but for new wine and for the nation. And we're living in unprecedented times, aren't we? These are exciting times. I'm, I've never been more excited about the kingdom. I believe God was up to so much behind the scenes during COVID while we were supposedly locked down and shut down. The phrase I kept hearing over and over is the harvest of the earth is ripening. There's a ripening going on behind the scenes. And so uh, get ready, buckle up. This room is going to be more full than this. You'll be in two services before too long. And God's going to reach a lot of people because that's what he's out to do. Amen. You're getting better. I might even make you crack a smile before this is all over. So anyway, this morning, I want to just share some things that might encourage you this morning. We're going to talk about the power of a spiritual breakthrough. And I title it, it starts out, uh, After These Things. And we'll find out what these things are in a minute. But we're going to start with a word from a prophet, Prophet Micah. Uh, Micah chapter 2, verse 13. And so Micah's a short prophet. There's no minor prophets in the Bible. I, don't, I think if you make it in the Bible, you're not a minor prophet. So there's short prophets and long prophets. He's a short prophet. So Micah chapter 2, verse 13. Uh, Micah describes God this way. I want you to see the way Micah's describing him for us this morning. It says, he who opens the breach, or another translation says the breaker, calls him the breaker. The breaker goes on before them, and they break through. Get the picture of, first of all, who the breaker is, that's our God. The breaker goes out before them, they break through and pass through the gate going out by it. Watch the position that Micah puts God in. The king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. God wants us to see him this morning out in front. God's out in front of us, he's at the head, and he is the breaker. Now we have a three-year-old grandson, and sometimes we call him the breaker. Now, anything within his proximity is possibly could get broken, but uh, this is a different guy. This is for the spiritual breakthrough. God is our breaker, and a breakthrough is simply the act of overcoming some kind of resistance, the act of overcoming some kind of an obstacle. How many have some kind of an obstacle in your life? No obstacles in Wales. I'm going to go back and give a good report to North Carolina. No, we all have obstacles. You might be sitting next to an obstacle this morning. You never know. I'm not looking at anybody, but... Um, yeah, we all have resistance, things, obstacles, and we need God to be our breaker, to break through those obstacles so that we can pass through. And so we're living in days where we understand that. And I'm going to take you to a text in Genesis chapter 15. 
We're going to look at the life of Abram. He's not Abraham yet. His name is Abram. And Abram is in need of a breakthrough. Abram's coming up against all kinds of obstacles in his life. And God visits him. God just breaks in on his life at a moment when it looks like his life is breaking down. And God comes in as the breaker. And then Abram has a breakthrough. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, don't miss that. Don't miss those three words. It was after these things. What things? Oh, I'll get to those in a minute. But don't forget that phrase. When God shows up, his timing is perfect. I love what Tammy was sharing that was actually biblical. <laughs> that was a great verse, though. God knows everything. He knows everything about us. He knows the right time to show up as the breaker. And so here's, here's Abram. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, and the first words out of God's mouth was, Abram, fear not. Fear not, Abram. I'm your shield. Now, why do you think God said fear not? I know all the kids are gone, so you're going to have to stand up and make some answers here now. Okay, so why fear not? Because he was in fear. Abraham was in a state of absolute fear. And here's the guy that God previously, in a few chapters before, prophesied, you're going to be the father of a great nation. Your children will be many. They'll be like the dust of the ground. All this is going on, and all these things start happening in his life. And God just shows up and says, fear not, Abram. I am your shield. The book of Ephesians was in the mind of God at this moment, but it hadn't been written down by Paul yet. But in the book of Ephesians, Paul writes about the shield of faith. What was God saying to Abram? Abram, what? Fear not. Why? I am your faith. I'm going to be your faith. Do you know that faith and fear kind of have the same definition? You see, fear is believing in something we can't see. I don't know. I'm kind of fearful. I don't know what's going to happen this year or next year. I'm in fear. But faith is believing in what you can't see. It depends on what you're focusing on. And here, Abram was in fear. And God had to break in on this fear and say, Abram, what? Stop fearing. I guess you need faith. Well, God is the biggest cheater ever. God cheats for you. He cheats for us. <laughs> We don't get what we deserve. He comes in and says, look, you need faith. You don't have faith. I'll be your faith. Faith is a gift. Don't you know that? That was also out of the, the Ephesians to come. That faith is a gift. You're saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God. So God just shows up on Abram's life and says, fear not. I will be your faith. And you know what? I'm not going back on my promise. Your reward will still be very great. And you think, whoo, what a prophecy. Come on, Matthew, that's the kind of high-voltage prophecies. Fear not, I'll be your faith, and you're going to have a lot of kids. But he's dealing with a human. Any humans here? We're getting better. How many never raise your hand in church? Let's just clear that up right now. Okay, that's the ones I'm going to target today. Um, Abram, watch his response now. Here's Abram, not quite there yet. He says, oh, Lord, <clears throat> I have a little bit of a bone to pick with you. What are you going to give me? Because I continue childless. I think I'm going to pick my own heir. This heir, uh, Eliezer of Damascus, will be my heir. Because you've given me no offspring, and I'll just pick a member of my own household. How's that? You know what we call? We call that kind of plan B. But I have good news today, Adam. God doesn't do plan B. He has no plan B. 
He only does plan A. <laughs> Don't you like to offer God plan B sometimes? God, I have an alternative because right now this isn't working. You've given me no offspring. This prophecy has not come to pass. So I've come up with my own rendition of how my future should be. And God just goes, no. I don't do plan B, Abe. Nice, nice try. God just relentlessly comes back and speaks to him again. Verse 4, he says, behold, the word of the Lord came to him. No, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. I'm not changing my mind. But he still wasn't believing yet. Something was still off. So God does, again, he cheats. God move, will move heaven and earth and sometimes move you to get you into a place of believing. And so he takes him outside. Ever get this from a parent or a coach? Excuse me, come, come with me. It's like this. He takes him outside. Sometimes God has to shift your location to get you in position for what he has for you. Sometimes God has to take you outside God took the church outside of its buildings for the last few years, right? God shifted our location. Why? He wanted to show him something that he hadn't seen because faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. And so he took him outside in verse 5, and he says, Now, shift your location. Now, shift your focus. Look toward heaven. God will have to do that with us sometimes. We're looking down at circumstances. We're looking at all the problems. We're looking at the lack, the thing that God said he would give, but we don't quite have it yet. And God just sometimes has says, come with me and shift your focus. Look toward heaven. And then he says, number the stars, if you think you can. Sometimes God gets a little sarcastic. Sometimes he gets a little sassy with us just to make a little point. Because, see, Abram was a Chaldean. The Chaldeans worship the stars. So here's Abram every night up there staring at the sky. And God's going, as long as you're up there staring at him, why don't you count all those stars? <laughs> Could you? No, you can't. But let me remind you, Abe, that's still how many your offspring will be. But Abram wasn't convinced yet. Something had to be changed inside of Abram. And this is where the breaker came in. So see, God sets us up for a breakthrough. He shifts things in our life. He took him outside of his circumstances. He refocused his attention, and then he gave him the thing he needed the most. He gave him faith. He gave him faith. See, God cheats. If you need wisdom, it says, ask of, ask of me. I'll give you wisdom. We need provision, that beautiful word this morning. I, you need provision. Yes, I know. I'm your provider. Ask of me. Give us this day our daily bread. Give to, you know, God loves it when we come to him in our need. And Abram's very needy right here, to the point he's, he wants to totally trash God's plan for the ages and go to his own plan, and God says, no, I'm not having it. Here, he takes him outside, shifts his focus, and then watch what happens. Verse 6 is a pivotal verse in all of Scripture. There's so much that hangs on Genesis 15, 6. It's a pivotal moment. It's a God moment where God breaks in and Abram shifts from fear, doubt, unbelief, to watch what it says. And he believed the Lord. He didn't believe there would be a provision. He suddenly had a belief in the provider. He believed that there is a God. Do you ever doubt that sometimes? Like, where's God when I need him? <laughs> God, where were you? And it's like we heard this morning. I was right there. 
Abram believed the Lord, and then God does the most unbelievable, remarkable transaction. He counted that act of believing, which God gave him, back unto him as righteousness. You're sitting in these beautiful blue chairs this morning, living that. If you're in Christ, you are righteous because of what Abram did. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because of Papa Abraham. We are the seed of Abraham. It's remarkable how God broke in on him. And it was all after these things. What things are you talking about? Well, let's think about some of these things he'd been going through up to this point where he was about to have a breakdown, not a breakthrough. But you see, his story starts a few chapters early at the end of chapter 11 in Genesis where he's told to get up and go and leave the land of the earth and the Chaldees and go. So he gets on this journey with God and he goes about halfway. We call that partial obedience. How many know, know somebody? How many know somebody that's ever had a little partial obedience? Not quite all the way, yeah. He takes his family. They have to go down to Egypt because there's a famine. They get down to Egypt, and they're looking at his wife going, who's that good-looking lady, Abe? He goes, um, that would be my sister. We call that a character crisis. Suddenly, he's lying about who is. I don't recommend that, guys, but sometimes, you know, like one time we had a washing machine repairman come to our home, and our laundry room is up on our second floor. Some, that was brilliant. Let's put the laundry room up where all the laundry comes from. Okay, the bedrooms. Okay, so that was a brilliant move. And so it's upstairs. So I talked to, with the repairman. He knew what he was going to do. So he goes up and he's doing his little fixing things. And he's coming out of the laundry room. And my wife was, happened to be upstairs. And she sees him coming out. And she says, oh, are, uh, are you good? Do you need anything else for me? He goes, no, no, I'm good. I already talked to your dad. And to my knowledge, no corrections were made <laughs> on one person's part because I think she was laughing in hysteria and he just left still thinking to this day, somebody is her dad that was in the house. Anyway, uh, Abram's lying. He lies. No, there's no lying there. It's just like a misperception. Um, he lies about who his wife is. He's going through all these uh, time delays and he's got family conflict with Lot. And all these things are repeated failure and, all the, and fighting with kings and all this is happening. And we get to Genesis 15 and Abram's ready to just give up. He's ready to throw in the towel, forget these promises. I'm just going to point my own error and go on with my life. And it was after these things. Say after these things. You all, there it comes. It came out. Y'all have had some things, haven't we? Now that's y'all, but the plural of y'all is all y'all. So that's a real, and another phrase for a Carolinian is, a, they're from Kakalaki. So kid, oh kids, they're, they're all gone, but that's a great one. North Kakalaki. Anyway, y'all have had some things. Some of you going through some things right now. But see, God is the breaker. He wants to come and break in on your things and what you've been through. See, God's interesting. God doesn't focus on our failures like we do. God didn't show up and say, Abraham, you are really disappointing me. <laughs> he doesn't focus on our past like we do. We always think about the past, the past, the past. God is the breaker. He's out in front. And God doesn't give up on us like we often want to give up. Abraham's about ready to give up. That's not our God. So he comes and visits him at this moment of breakdown. Because, see, God can do more in just a few 
minutes. God can do literally more in a few seconds than we can do in weeks and months, even years of praying and hoping and believing. But you see, that's all part of the setup. God sets us up for breakthroughs. He puts us in a position of desperation, and then he comes in and breaks through what seems to be impossible for us. I remember back in the 90s, we were, we had planted a church in 1993. We were pastoring. Uh, I was working on my doctorate. I was doing some traveling. We had our fourth child, uh, and we were homeschooling. What were we thinking? <laughs> it's like, you ever do that? It's like, honey, what were we thinking? Anyway, the 90s were like a blur. We were, so much going on. And traveling was ramping up, and I was coming to a point, and it got to be 1999, and I felt like the Lord said I was supposed to travel full-time and turn the church over. Well, that was a big step of faith. We had confirmation, first of all, from my wife. She, got, she says, you need to do one or the other. You can't keep traveling in passion. Do one or the other. And Keith Hazel, who Julian Sereno, who's now in heaven, my spiritual overseer at that time, we prayed it through. Yeah, that's the decision. And yet I wasn't quite satisfied. There was something more inside of me and as I was praying about that, I said, God, I need a breakthrough. I, need, I feel like even my prophetic ministry, if I'm going to do this full time, I'm not where I need to be. And the Lord answered me this way in prayer. He said, well, up to now you've run with the prophets. To go to the next level, you need to run with the apostles. And I first went, huh, what is an apostle? <laughs> and where are these apostles I'm supposed to run with? And how do I find them? I had a lot of questions. Let me encourage you. When you get a word from God, it generates a lot of questions. How do, I know, how do I know that was God? Do you have any questions? Oh, I got a lot of questions. That was God. Because God puts you on what I call in my book the journey of inquiry. A prophetic word starts you on a new journey, and it's all about you engaging with the living God, engaging with his mind, engaging. It's all about developing your relationship with God. That's why God speaks. And you see, God came to break through the relationship he had with Abram. Because it was breaking down. God wants to break through, number one, in his relationship with you. So I was just going through all this, like, what, what's an apostle? Where do I find him? I had so many questions. We were, we'd been praying and still praying, and now I had more to pray about. And this was in the beginning of 1999. In March of 1999, I get a phone call from a pastor in North Carolina. I was living in Florida at the time. We'd been in Florida almost 17 years, and it was Jerry Daly. Jerry Daly uh, was pastoring a church. He was leading a network similar to New Wine, of churches in North Carolina. Jerry was an apostle. I'd met Jerry at a couple of conferences. Didn't, I knew who he was not that well. He says, hey, can you come do prophetic ministry at our church in June? I said, sure. And so I flew up there in June, <clears throat> and I met with Jerry in his home, and he asked me the question, so, brother, how's it going? Ah, it's all these things started coming up. I don't know I'm supposed to travel. I'm supposed to be with apostles. I don't know where they are. I don't know how to do this. <laughs> Almost like... Aren't you sorry you just asked me that because I just like let it out. And Jerry, mark him an apostle. Apostles see the architecture in people. Paul calls himself a wise master builder. That mean, didn't mean you could build buildings. He built people. Architectnon is the Greek word there. He's like a spiritual architect. And apostles can see spiritual architecture in people and in systems and things. And Jerry just said this in seconds. I remember I've been praying really for a couple of years and it was really getting intense. And I got this word and I still didn't know, and I was like, God, you got to do something. And in seconds, I mean seconds, Jerry say, says these words. He says, well, brother, I think you're supposed to move here, base your traveling ministry out of our church in North Carolina, join my apostolic team, and we're starting a Bible college. You can help us do that. Seconds. 
Wow. That's what I've been doing for the last 22 years. In those seconds, he laid out the architecture of what I've been doing. Now, it took a long time to get there. God was setting me up for an impossible step of faith, and God came, and it's like when he said those words, the faith came, my eyes were opened, I had new vision. It took us a year to process it and move to North Carolina, but you see, God can do more in seconds than you can do in months and weeks and years of planning, but God loves it when he sets you up. Some of y'all get a little excited. I believe some of God's setting you up right now for breakthroughs. I believe God overall has been setting the church up for the last couple of years. It's like God said, I'm going to put you in impossible situations. You can't even meet in your buildings. You don't even know who goes to your church anymore, and you don't even know who's watching online. We're watching you. We have a reverse camera, everybody. Good morning. We're watching you. And by the way, there's open seats here. Y'all come back, right? We got room for you. But see, God sets you up just like he did with Abram. God set me up. Boom. That's what we've been living in for 22 years. Everybody needs breakthroughs. You need them personally. Every church needs them. Even businesses, you need breakthroughs. There's a lot of people that need a breakthrough right now, and you can pray for them. You need a breakthrough because, number one, it's what you need, and God sets you up to go to that next level of destiny in your life. God knew where I needed to go in my destiny, but I didn't know how to get there. You might be sitting here today going, I don't know what's next for me. I don't know what. God says, you know what? I'm the God of the breakthrough. Keep your eyes on me. The breaker is out before you. We break through. You need them to go to the next level. You need them because they're personal. I don't think I need a breakthrough. Yes, you do. Breakthroughs are amazing because they're very personal. This breakthrough was for one guy by the name of Abram. One guy. God singles out on the whole planet and brings him a personal breakthrough. And then we're sitting in a chair today, the beneficiaries of that breakthrough, where Abraham believed. And then God counted it back as righteousness. And that transaction carried from Genesis all the way into the New Testament where it's referenced by Paul and by James and throughout the epistles. Yeah, powerful transactions that God has planned for us. You also need breakthroughs because they're reassuring. They reassure you like, yeah, God is with me. I got to a place, I didn't know what I was going to do, and God broke in. It reassures us, he is with me. The Lord is my shepherd. And then you need breakthroughs because they're revealing. Oh, God loves to reveal things, number one, about him, about who he is. Sometimes we forget that God is sovereign. He's almighty God. He is our heavenly father. And best of all, as Isaiah 46.10 says, God who knows the end from the beginning. Sometimes we forget that God sees, God sees you at the end. Isn't that good? God sees you at the end of it. And he doesn't judge you based on what you're going through right now. See, God saw Abram at the end as the father of faith. Got thousands and millions of kids. I don't see myself that way. He goes, yeah, that's why you need a breakthrough. You need a breakthrough so you can see what God sees. We call that being prophetic. But you know what the best thing about a breakthrough is? See, we want things to change in our life. We want changed circumstances. Oh, if this would get better, if that would get better, if he would get better, if she would get better. <laughs> we want changed things. But the greatest thing about a breakthrough, they change you. God's out to change you. He was out to change one man. And when he changed him from inside, everything on the outside broke open. That's where God does his best work. See, the battles you face, they're not the battles within you. 
I'm sorry, they're not the battles outside of you. They're the battles within you. Our real battles are in here. They're not the battles out there. They're not the things that are coming against in depression. Yeah, they're real, but the big breakthrough comes internally. And that's how you pray. So I want to close with just three things to pray for so you can have a spiritual breakthrough. After these things, I don't, it doesn't matter what things you've been through up to this point in May of 2022, God wants to bring breakthroughs in whatever resistance and obstacles you're facing right now. So you pray for them. And number one, you pray for a breakthrough in courage. Yeah, courage. You pray for it. You actually pray for it. Say, God, I need courage. God, give me courage. How do you know? Well, because, see, God <laughs> sees our circumstances differently. And what does that do? If I pray for a breakthrough in courage, you know what it does? Helps you avoid fear. That was the number one factor that Abram had to have broken off his life. It's the number one thing God will go for because without faith, it's impossible to please him. So God looks at the fear factor in your life and he wants to come in and break through that. And I think of Joshua, the opening chapter of Joshua chapter one where he's commissioned to take the people of Israel over the raging Jordan River and God shows up and he says like five or six times over and over this phrase, only be strong and courageous. Yeah. Over and over he's putting that in Joshua. Why? He says he was probably afraid. I mean, he'd been with Moses and everything, but this is a whole different circumstance. So God breaks in and says, Joshua, only be strong and courageous. He says, okay, God, I'll be strong and courageous. I'll be courageous. This book of the law shall not depart out of my mouth. I'll meditate day and night. I'm going to be strong and courageous. Then you'll observe to do all that I've written therein. Your way will make way prosperous and successful. Okay, I got it. I, I, I got it. We're going to do it. We're going to go over. Okay, we're going to do it. Everybody, we're going to go over the Jordan. Woohoo! let's go. God, we're ready. Ready, God, I need the stick, like Moses, you know. I'm ready. Give me that stick, and I can do it. God, my stick? I don't get a stick. What? Moses had a stick. Don't you hate it when God takes your props away? The things that make you comfortable, like, I can do this if I have this. <laughs> and God just takes, no stick. Why? Why don't I get a stick? Only be strong and courageous, I told you. <laughs> See? Helps you avoid fear. Be strong and courageous. You pray for it. So when fear starts coming at you, say, God... Give me courage. Give me courage, God. It comes from God. It's a gift. He'll give you courage. He'll empower you. So you pray for that over and over and over because you will have obstacles. And you pray, secondly, you pray for a breakthrough in commitment. Commitment? Yeah. Oh, here we go. Probably time for a little pastoral rant here. You need to keep showing up to services and go to your small group and pay your tithe and read your Bible. I'm not talking about being committed to things and activities, although that's good. This is internal commitment. Committed here to the process God currently has you in. Stay committed. Stay committed to be a post-COVID church now. <laughs> a lot of people would not stay committed to being in the middle of a global pandemic, and they ran. Because God had a process to take the church through. Stay committed to the process God has you in right now. So you pray, God, give me the breakthrough. I'm going to stay committed. See, internal commitment is what keeps you going when there's obstacles, when there's trouble, when there's crisis. I think of David. David got this incredible prophetic word about being the future king of Israel, right? And then God put him in this crazy discipleship program. Spear throwing, cave dwelling, you know, attacks. All this stuff was happening in his life. I'm sure at some point he goes, guys, in the cave, going, is there anything to eat? No. Uh, any water? Well, it's water way down there. It's like, 
I, I'm done. This is ridiculous. I'm throwing this king thing out the window. I don't need this. But internal commitment kept David going. You know what internal commitment does? Helps you avoid failure. Just like courage helps you avoid fear, commitment says, I know how to keep going because it's in here. And you know the best thing about that? Once again, God cheats. You know who starts the whole cycle of commitment? God does. He commits to you first. It wasn't your idea. I think, you know, today, honey, what? I think I'm going to turn over a new leaf and get saved. Yes, sir, I've been, I've been thinking about it, and I, 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 really? I found the Lord. No, you didn't. You weren't even looking for him. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. Sometimes we just think we've just done God such a big favor, you know. No, God starts the cycle of commitment. He commits his son to you first. God is the most committed, even when we're having a breakdown. God was committed to Abram. He was committed. He says, Abe, what? I know how to keep this thing going. How are you going to do it? Because I'm ready to give up, throw on the towel, and point my own air. He goes, I'm going to give you what you need the most, faith in me. You stay committed. And then, this is a big one, but this is the deepest internal moment of this message, is you pray for a breakthrough in heart. Your heart. You pray for a breakthrough in your own heart. Why? Out of it come all the issues of life. We know that, Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence. Why? Out of it are all the issues of life. And your heart is wicked and desperately evil. Some of the Bible writers have told us about our heart. Do you know you can't trust your heart? Don't look at me that way. I used to think you could. In fact, when I was pastoring, I actually used this phrase a few times. Don't do this, Matthew. Counseling people, helping them with a guidance issue. What should I do? What should I do? And I'd sit there, and this phrase came out because I'd heard it other places, and it sounds so good to the human ear and to the psyche and to our, you know, our, our, our self-centeredness. I said, well, you know, just follow your heart. Oops. Everybody so, go say, oops. That's how we say it in North Carolina. Oops. Don't say that. You don't follow your heart. You know why? Your heart was never meant to lead you. Your heart is a wanter. It wants things. It desires things. It treasures things. It wants. It's selfish. And throughout the scripture, we realize, again, Solomon, Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, you know it well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't trust your heart. The psalmist, Lord, incline my heart to your word, not to selfish gain. Well, that's a big prayer. That's the guy that wrote the, the longest psalm in the Bible, Psalm 119. Lord, incline my heart to your word. Why? Our heart is disinclined to the word of God. You wake up in the morning, it is selfish. Your heart will say, I need this, I want this, coffee, a shower, get me, comfort me. Oh yeah, and now incline my heart to your word. Paul prayed for the Thessalonians at the closing of his first epistle. He said, may the Lord direct your heart to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. May the Lord direct your heart. Our hearts need to be directed. You can't trust your heart. And I love what Solomon wrote in Proverbs 6, 20, 21, 22. He says, my son, don't forget the commandments of your father and the instructions of your mother. What did he tell him to do? He says, bind them around your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you awake, they will lead you. Get this picture of the scriptures as commandments and instructions that we must bind around our heart, 
tie them around our neck so that when we get ready to go somewhere, they will lead you. To be led by the Spirit, as Paul wrote to the Galatians, when we're led by the Spirit, the little Greek word, ago, that Greek word, ago, meant to literally, in agriculture, to lead an animal down the road by putting a rope around its neck and leading it down the road. A little tug and leading the animal down the road. In one of my many adventures, <laughs> I remember being in India, and in the morning we were out in a village, and there's this little wrinkled-up grandma walking out of the village with a rope in her hand and this big 2,000-pound cow behind her just following grandma out of the village because grandma's going to take him out to the grass where he gets to have breakfast every morning. And at any second, this big, strong cow could just flick his head, and there we go, Grandma. <laughs> Bye, Grandma. <laughs> Wee! It's like, all he had to do was flick his head, have a will of his own, and off he could go in his own direction. But see, he learned from a young baby calf when they put that rope around him and began to tug. Though he may resist at first, he realized, if I follow Grandma, I get breakfast every morning, Simon. I'm just going to follow Grandma. All it takes is a little tug. Here we go. Breakfast. My knees are going to get met. That's that picture that Solomon paints. See, I, I just need a word from God. I need to be led by the Spirit. Give him some rope. What are you tying around your neck? <laughs> the news feed from the BBC every morning, what are you tying around your neck? What's instructing you? He said, take my instructions, son. Take my commandments. Bind them around your heart. So that when God tugs, you ever heard the phrase, something's tugging on my heart? You better know who's tugging and what he's tugging on. You got to give the Holy Spirit some rope so that he can lead you. We need a breakthrough in heart. You know what it does? Here's what a breakthrough in heart does. It answers this question. Why am I doing this? That's a big question. In America, 38% of pastors seriously wanted to quit the ministry last year. That's a high number. They literally came face to face with this heart issue. It's like, why am I doing this? Why am I trying to pastor? As for all those that were just about ready to nod off there, it means we're almost done. That's my closing sound effect. Yeah, why am I doing this? And that's a great question because what's God looking for? Motive, a pure motive. When Solomon was given the offer of what I call the billion, the billion pound offer from God, he said, hey, Solomon, ask of me whatever you will, I'll give it to you. It's like, whoo-hoo, I want an unlimited Amazon account. I want this and I want that. It's like you, suddenly we'd go carnal, I want all these things, right? Solomon said, you know, Lord, here's what I want. Give me, he said this way, give me an understanding heart that I might know how to rule over these people. God gave him that because that's what God was looking for. When he saw that, he went, that's what I'm looking for in a king. That's what I'm looking for in a ruler. Because when Solomon had the ear of God, he was more concerned about the people than he was for his own comfort. And God said, that's what I want. You know what's cool about that story? He still gave him the Amazon account. <laughs> he still gave him the company credit card. He made him one of the wealthiest men on the planet because he knew he could trust him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I want to pray for you. I want you to stand, because if I said, 
if you're going through a breakthrough, you'd look around and see who's standing. So Julian stood first. So if pastor and his wife and the leaders are going, like, we're going through some stuff. We need breakthrough. So do you. We all do. But I want to pray for you in those three things. And let me, let me just give you something to hang on to as you leave today. As I quoted Isaiah earlier, God knows the end from the beginning. He sees it all. So let me say it this way. There's an ordained outcome for you. God has an ordained outcome for your life. God has an ordained outcome for Cornerstone Church and the nation and so on. But here's our biggest battle, agreeing with God's outcome. Your battle is, do I agree with what God has planned? You know, we have to get our heart in a place of agreement. So I want to pray for that this morning. I want to pray for you. Father, we come before you as your body. Father's Cornerstone Church comes together as the local body representing you here, I pray, number one, that you would impart to them courage. We pray, we ask for courage so that, God, we can have the breakthroughs we need. When fear tries to come, courage will rise and fight against the fear factors that the world is trying to put on us. We pray for courage. God, we pray for a breakthrough and commitment. Whatever you're going through, stay in it. Stay in the current season you are in. God's not finished. But when he finishes, as Ecclesiastes writer said, he's made everything beautiful in its season. Give God the time he wants to craft you. Stay committed. You'll avoid failure. And pray for breakthroughs in your own heart. Say, God, I need a breakthrough in heart. God, go ahead, check my motive, but the promise is this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How many want to see God more? Every hand is up by the Spirit, I know it. <laughs> I say, Lord, I want to see you. When we see God, we change. We don't want prophecy just to get information. We want prophecy to see the God who gave the prophecy. Who are you that speaks to man like this? Who are you that visits man like you did Abram? Who is this God that cares so much? He is the God of the breakthrough. And so we pray. God, you will bring breakthrough after breakthrough. And we leave today knowing what Micah taught us from the very beginning, that the breaker goes out before us. The Lord at our head. And we break through. God bless you.